Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Good morning to you all. It's 9.03 on this Friday morning and courtesy of Brent, your local John Deere equipment suppliers, we shall uh, bring you a show in the next three hours featuring Rugby League with Hugh McGahn coming up very shortly. Oh, Huey, uh, we'll look at uh, his roosters and our warriors. So we'll just uh, have a little bit of a review of where he sees it at. It's uh, abbreviated uh, round this weekend, of course, uh, because of State of Origin 3 around the corner. So uh, just the five matches. We've already had one last night with the Sharks prevailing. Uh, thought they would. But um, I think West went a little bit better than a lot of people thought. Um, we'll look at, at uh, some talk back just after 9.30 this morning. Really would uh, like to hear uh, your impression of the All Black side. What do you make of it? Uh, where do we even start with it? Uh, and also the Ashes uh, were on overnight. Uh, I see Kevin already is going to call in just after 9.30. Look forward to hearing from you, Kev. Um, I have a multi for you uh, just before 10 o'clock after 10. Uh, we tried to get Mike Angove yesterday. Uh, he had some issues uh, around the camp, so... Uh, we are endeavouring to get him just after 10 o'clock this morning because on Sunday it's quite a big day, UFC 290, featuring uh, some interest from down under, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Harness Racing Cross of at uh, 10.40 this morning with Greg O'Connor. Uh, Louis will uh, take us through what's uh, happening in terms of the thoroughbreds as well during the hour. Um, we'll also have uh, a sports desk just after 11 this morning, courtesy of Polaris. Um, and then uh, a new feature, or we'll have a stump, of course, a stump smithy at 11.30, why not? Uh, and then a smithy's wine cellar. And we'll be talking about a uh, beautiful wine from the private selection of Robert Mondavi out of California. Uh, it's a beautiful Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, I'm talking about it with experience. Uh, with experience, I can promise you that. It is a really, really nice wine. Uh, that's uh, pretty much the show this morning. Look forward to your texts on double eight double three and your calls on 0800-150-811. Let's get stuck into it, Joey. Push the button, man. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the All Blacks' first team of 2023 is out, and it seems the Barrett family are still top of the pops in the selectors' minds. It's more a show of faith 15 to to me rather than a let's find out one. With the exception, perhaps, of Josh Lord at lock, a big challenge for the young 22-year-old from Taranaki, even though we all know... If he's a standout on Sunday, he'll be a left out when the big lads are back. In fact, it's the kind of team and the kind of fixture that barks. Let's not read too much into this, shall we? It'll be a good watch. The Pumas will ensure that. But really, Bowden at 15 and Colsey at 2. How progressive is that? Uh, The Ashes certainly were good to watch last night. Up there in Leeds, made a great spectacle by an unlikely hero in Mitch Marsh. Didn't see his selection coming, actually. Didn't see a blazing run of ball 100 coming either. Uh, didn't uh, England catching like clowns uh, help their cause? No, it did not. They were awful last night. They had hands like feet. Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow were anything but perfect there. Bairstow, aside from all the dramas, has been a flop, an absolute flop in his role. England over the decades have prided themselves on always having a good gloveman, and they have not uh, now. Uh, they have now too, actually, I should say. Uh, and Ben Folks, he's silky smooth. Super reliable, but sadly, sadly missing. So now the two local Yorkies have got to go and get their bat act together, otherwise the Ashes' expectations are down the gurgler. 
Alex Carey, less popular in Yorkshire than the Ripper himself, had a short stay, hardly long enough to hear the barrage of boos and the chants from the West Terraces. And as soon as uh, England get their head around the fact that Carey's nowhere near as big an enemy as they are to themselves, the better. Just like old Jack himself, the execution is coming way too late. The damage is all but done. Right, 9.07 here, and uh, while the players are striking for all media commitments, the Cronulla Sharks let their game do the talking last night as they made light work of the bottom of the table. West Tigers was a one-sided start to round 19, which sees the Warriors travel to play the Eels tomorrow evening, looking to secure valuable points to keep moving up this congested middle part of the table. Well, uh, rugby league legend Hugh McGahn joins us this morning. Um, had a, a great history uh, with one club in particular that we wanted to uh, get our heads around as well. Huey, good morning to you. Good morning, Ian. Your Roosters, the Roosters, um, they have a week off this week, but a lot of people are asking about where the cohesion is. What is lacking with this side? Well, if I knew, I'd probably be the coach of the team, Ian. It's, I can't really answer. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because... Knowing the coach, uh, Trent Robinson, as well as I do, and uh, some of the players, there's cohesion there, there's, um, there's commitment, um, there's, a, there's a want to, to do well. But for some reason, it's just not clicking on the field. There's some, there's some players and some very well-established players who, who are out of form. Um, James Tedesco being one of them, uh, but being one of the great players uh, over, over his career. No one can really put a finger onto what the the actual problem is. Um, certainly, uh, halves they they lack some quality halves. Uh, Luke Carey um, is an obvious choice. He, he he stands out on his own, but they don't have a, a another playmaker to 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 follow up to um, um, uh, to sit beside him. Um, and there's no one probably with James Tedesco at fullback as that extra link. Uh, and Hooker has also been a problem for them. So their spine just isn't working whatsoever. And, and you can see it in the way that they're playing. They're, they're, they're trying really hard. There's no question about that. But it's just not falling together for them for those reasons. The dropping of young Sam Walker earlier in the season. He's out with injury now. I, I'm sure he will, as soon as he's back ready to play, they'll bring him back into the, into the fold because they're desperately needing a, a, another good halfback. One of the big signings was always going to be Brandon Smith. Uh, was so well publicised that he'd he'd shopped around and he'd made sure that he was going to go to the uh, to the Roosters. Um, and uh, you've put him alongside Joey Manu. They just don't seem to be getting the best out of those players. No, no, not at all. I think Joey Manu, his best position at, at the moment is, is either fullback or centre. I don't think he's a, a he's a half. Brandon Smith. Um, uh, I think he, he he liked the idea of moving to Sydney and and playing with a with a with a good club, and thought it was just all going to come for him. Now I'm a massive fan of that that young man, um, but it's just not working for him. I, I think he's probably casual in his approach to the, to the game at the moment. Um, he's riding a little bit of a high. He's probably got a good uh, pay packet at the moment. Things are looking nice for him, but uh, that won't last long if he continues on the. The line that he is at the moment, he, um, he it's just just not working. We're obviously, waiting for him to get back from suspension, and um, 
uh, something has to happen very, very quickly for him. Just looking at uh, the comp in general, here we are heading into uh, round 19, so uh, well, well past the halfway mark, Huey, and uh, we've got uh, the Panthers, the Sharks, the Broncos uh, up there on 26, but uh, the Roosters sitting uh, well and truly in 13th there outside of the 8th. Uh, but the Warriors are clinging on there. Uh, the TAB, a couple of weeks ago, paid out on um, the Warriors being in the top eight. Just wonder if they have second thoughts about that night and now and how important this weekend is. Uh, yeah, they're probably kicking themselves at, at the moment. Um, but I, I, I tend to agree. I still think that they, they, they will make the eight. Um, they're, they're playing exceptional football um, this year. Um, the coach has done a really good job. Outside of last week, disappointment. And I, I've got to say that was a, a real disappointment. Um, I was lucky enough the week before that game uh, with my son to go along to, to their trainings and was was able, I was privileged to go into and look at their, their whole setup, the, their uh, preview before the games, their video sessions, what they were looking at, who, who they're going to target. And walking out of that and going out into the field to, uh, to watch them train, the confidence in that group was just enormous and would have been um, someone who was uh, half dead who would not have put money on them to win that game. The way that they, they prepared for it and the, the feeling within the camp was just so high. And yet we we saw the first 10, 15 minutes, so I thought they were on, on song with, with, with their, their game, but then it all just fell apart. For whatever reason, I would love to have been in the next meeting afterwards to hear what the coach would have would have said to them uh, and how the players would have um, adjusted to that and, and spoke to themselves around it. But having said all that, they're, they're, they're still playing really, really well. Their they're, um, cohesion is, is, is good. I said, we, if we take last week's game out of, out of the, the picture, um, there is confidence within that group. There's a real belief that you don't see quite often from a Warriors team. And, um, and having been as close as I was uh, last week, um, I, I still think that they're on song. And rightly or wrongly, um, and I'm, I haven't really been a Warriors fan in the past, but I just like the way what Andrew Webster is doing with this, uh, with this team and how he's handling the, the group. And then the, the coaching setup as well. I was very impressed with the, the, the coaches and uh, what they're doing in the background. Um, so I'm, I'm tipping this this week against a, a, an Eels team, which are still riding high. They're, they're, they're playing well. They, they aren't probably as consistent as they should be. But I, I think the, uh, the, the, the Warriors will, um, will get up this weekend. Uh, it wasn't uh, about this time last year that we were thinking, oh, we really don't care if Sean Johnson plays or not because his impact on the side and the way the team was going um, <clears throat> was nowhere near like it is this year. And so all of a sudden we're getting the relatively positive news, I think, that he's, he's going to be over there uh, against the Eels. The Sean Johnson factor this year for you? Um, a major change. There's no doubt about that. And again, I, I listened to him in, in the meetings uh, and just how constructive he was, how he assesses the opposition, how he's talking to, to his other players. Um, and it, it more so, it's how the other players are listening to him. As soon as he, he speaks, the eyes are up and they're just looking at him wanting to get the message, okay, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Um, uh, and it's showing in the way that he's playing. He's, he's playing confident. Yes, there's a couple of kicks that, that are, uh, are too heavy and they go dead in goal or they come off the side of the, the, his foot. 
but I, I think he's probably 90% better than what he was uh, last year. And um, he's a big factor as to why the Warriors are going as well as they, they are. Uh, but there's a real buy-in with, within the group. Uh, but I put a lot of that down to, to, the, to the coaching setup and, and just how they, they're not overstated. They're not making uh, grand statements about what they're going to achieve this year, how they're going to do it, and whatever. It's, it's all very low-key but there is belief within, within that group, and, um, and you can certainly see it with Sean. Well, if you can see it, and Sean, what, what do you see in Tohu Harris at the moment? He is just so understated. Um, he, he brings so much. It's just, he's one of those players. That, there's a player I used to play with, Mark Graham. Now, you probably remember Mark Graham. He is just exactly like Mark, that once he's on the field, you feel safe or you feel better, you feel more confident because he's on the field. Tohu brings the same thing to, to, to whatever team he plays in. Um, he, he's not an overly stated person, but when he speaks, people listen. And um, uh, he, he's not fire and brimstone with the way he plays the game, but he makes yardage, he makes tackles, uh, he cleans up a lot of the mess that we don't normally see. He's just one of those, those players who works very, very hard in the background. Um, uh, the, the, the team won't go very far without Tuhu Harris um, in the starting side. We're looking at um, also uh, the Tigers are, are in trouble, but uh, so too are the Dragons. And, and just for instance, we'll, we'll take a look at Ben Hunt since he wants out because of a list of broken promises. Um, contracts these days, what about the contracts these days? It, it appears that they don't mean a hell of a lot at times. They may as well be wrapped up into a Weepix packet and put some put some milk or something in it because it, it's just a waste of time with the way that agents are around, are allowed to manipulate um, contracts and we've seen it over years with the the English football that when one player is very disgruntled with a team he will just kick stones he will upset the momentum or the culture within a club and the clubs just get rid of their players straight away and agents know this and so they tell their players what they need to be doing um, to to get out of a, a, a club. It's the last thing that you want is a player who doesn't want to be there, um, who's disgruntled with, with whatever and is doing the best he can to get out of the club. I don't think it's got to that stage yet within rugby league but it's, it's certainly heading that way with the way that players are just... If they want to move, they'll ask for a move. If they don't, they, it gets ratty. And somehow, some way, shape or form, the agent finds a way to get that into the media um, in whatever story he wants to, to write or to push to get people talking about him leaving the club. He's once out. Um, he's not happy with this. He wanted, to, he wanted this coach. He, now that that coach is gone, there's always a story that comes out and it's very much manipulated by a lot of the agents that, uh, that are working within the group. I think we're seeing that very much behind the scenes as well in this media boycott. The Rugby League Players Association wanting full autonomy around managing its own funds. Uh, where, is, uh, where and when is this going to end? And uh, I, Being in the media, I kind of think it's just a little bit petty and pathetic. Well, Ian, I, I, there's nothing else that they, they can do. Um, I, I don't think that they've proven to anyone that they have the capability to, to run their own show on their own, to look after their own funds. There, there isn't enough business acumen uh, among the players. There's, there's some very good players who, who are doing the, probably the, what they think is the right thing for the players themselves in general. 
But if they want to run and manage all of that, there's not. I don't think there's enough acumen on that executive board that would um, that would be able to do it. The, the CEO of the Players Association uh, wouldn't be able to, to do it on his own. They they don't have departments where they're able to manage those sorts of things. You know, that that's that's a lot of money that they're looking to to manage and to control. Um, I think that's fraught with danger if, if the players tend to go down that track. And then to alienate your major sponsors or your major broadcaster um, who, who are paying nearly 80% of the money that goes into the game mm. um, to get them offside, it's, I won't say it's petty, but I don't think it's the right thing to do because they're not going to win. Whatever happens... The media will write what they want to write. Whether it be right or wrong, they will write it and they'll sway it the way that they want it to sway it. Um, but when you look at the face of it, the only one who gets heard out of, out of all this uh, are the fans because they want to listen to the players. They want to hear what's going on. They want to know how they're feeling after the game or how they won the game. Um, they, they like to feel the emotion of a player when they um, uh, after the game and they get a, a little bit of insight. Uh, they like to see the joy in the face or the disappointment. You know, fans love to see that. Now, they've been deprived of that. For how long? I don't know. Who, who, the, the league will last as long as it needs to last. I don't know if the players can last this out for week on week, on month on month to the end of the season where they're going to refuse to talk to the media. It's ridiculous. Yeah, totally agree. Huey, this far out, can you pick a grand final for us at, at this stage? Oh, uh, um, no, <laughs> I, I, I thought I thought at the start of the season the way that they were going that uh, it, the, the Panthers may have seen their time, but I, of late and without um, Cleary as well, Nathan Cleary, they're really starting to to, to come on song now. I, I, I like what I see with the with with the Panthers. Um, the Broncos have yet to prove that they can continue on their their good run. They had this last year. Uh, they fell into a little bit of a hole come the end of the season. I think they have the capability of, of doing it. Um, and I still like the Sharks. Understated. Um, they just get on and just do their, their job. I, uh, out of those three are the ones that I, I probably see in the final. Of the two, uh, picking a two, I couldn't out of those three. Huey McGowan, always great to catch up with you. Thanks for those thoughts too, especially around the, the political area. They're very, very, very interesting indeed. Uh, have a terrific, um, have a terrific weekend, Hugh, and uh, let's hope the Warriors turn it around, eh? Thank you very much, Ian. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Hugh McGowan, they are uh, legend, absolute legend of the game. Love his opinions too, uh, Huey, and um, just looking at the Warriors, they're very, very confident about the setup there. It's always great to see an ex-player uh, do that kind of thing, go in. Uh, to a camp and uh, when they've been there, done that and uh, and they've based the whole of their career around that kind of feeling in a group it's uh, very interesting to hear what he said uh, after uh, he and his son were able to get up close and personal with the Warriors. Hugely, hugely impressive Louis um, <clears throat> in terms of his thinking of course uh, aside from last week it, it really has reflected on the season so um, I'm thinking they'll probably turn it around tomorrow against the Eels. What about you? Yeah, hearing Hugh talk about Sean Johnson and the respect he's got from his peers in that group and eyes on him when he speaks, it really does paint the picture of how important, and this is why they were making, and, and the rugby league writers that have, would have also seen this were making such a big deal about whether he was going to be there or not for a very pivotal game in their season. The other aspect I took from Hugh there, 
Torhu Harris, when you want to compare someone to Mark Graham, and Hugh mm. knows Mark Graham, knows exactly what he stood for, the sort of operator he was, that comparison to Torhu Harris, don't take that lightly. And I know you've got a huge amount of time for Torhu as a man and a rugby league player, Smithy. I think that was uh, really telling. And again, just because he's understated and he's not firing brimstone, as Hugh said, doesn't mean his impact on this team. And he's playing under an injury cloud and has been and will be for most of this year. The influence he has on this group, amazing. Yep, and uh, let's hope he has plenty of influence uh, on it tomorrow night. And the news sounding very good out of uh, the Johnson family camp. Um, I think uh, I read uh, a little uh, Twitter remark from um, Kayla Johnson saying, look, uh, you stay uh, exactly where you are until Dad gets home from his trip away this weekend. So talking about uh, the impending birth. So that's um, <coughs> it's a good sign from uh, the Johnson point of view, uh, most importantly, of course, uh, but uh, Warriors as well. It's 9.23 here on SENZ. We have uh, golf updates throughout the morning, of course. We're following um, Amelia Garvey and Lydia Coe in the Women's US uh, Open. Uh, not a good start for Amelia Garvey. She's five over after five, double bogey the first hole. So not uh, a really promising start there from uh, the young lady out of uh, Christchurch. Uh, we'll keep you posted. Lydia hasn't teed off yet. Right, now uh, let's uh, just look at a couple of uh, the league texts that have uh, come in. Uh, great stuff. Uh, morning, Smithy. Yeah, great interview with Huey. No concussion problems with him. Awesome insights. Great articulation and understanding. Not only what's uh, going on in the paddock, but also in the boardroom. Totally concur with that. Paddy's coming up the RLPA. Not you boys, but Fox and Nine are coming out saying that it's selfish and the fans are being punished. Mate, what planet are they on? There must be about 17 people that actually watch the pre-match, uh, mid-game and post-match interviews. The media are just sooky because they need to put on a panel show and don't have player representation. I, there is that. Um, I, they've been doing this for a long time, Fox and Nine. They've been covering rugby league for an eternity, it seems. Um, and I guess w- what has happened here is, you know, they've put pressure on them in areas where they've felt comfortable for content. Um, it's just an accepted practice, isn't it, that you talk to players after the game anyway it's not always the case that you get them before the game um, because uh, that's up to the players and and normally they make themselves available but certainly after the game it's just one of those things and you love to see the blood and the gashes and all that sort of sweat etc and you love to hear that um, immediate feel after the game about uh, captain's reactions to winning and losing player of the match so it's just an accepted thing Um, so I I guess they feel that's uh, hurting them and uh, if you're going to go on strike or you're going to uh, make a stance of that nature against uh, two pretty powerful organisations in Fox and Nine who shell out a hell of a lot of money, it's such a competitive thing, the NRL in Australia, to get hold of. First, uh, first of all, you've got pay-per-view, and then, of course, you've got free-to-air expectations too. So um, <coughs> really important that uh, they sort this out, I think, uh, because it's just a level of expectation around it now. Uh, Lydia standing on the first tee as we speak. It's 9.31 here on SCNZ. Radio 9.33, is the number. Time for uh, a little bit of talk back now. A number of subjects we can go through. Uh, the All Black, the first All Black's first team. Uh, what do uh, you make of it? 
for 2023 with Bowden Barrett at 15, Dane Coles at 2. Interesting for me. Uh, we'll also uh, have a look at uh, what happened in the Ashes overnight, uh, day one of uh, Test Match number three. Plenty of action there. Man, is that Test Match advanced early on in the piece. And Warriors' chances this weekend with uh, Sean Johnson looking likely uh, to uh, make the trip across and uh, take his uh, place in the side. Uh, first up this morning, uh, Kevin from uh, Titalangi uh, looking at the Ashes. Kevin, uh, always enjoy your opinion on it. What did you make of it? Morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a great game. I thought um, England bowled themselves into the game again. Um, 263 wasn't a big score. But once again, they've let themselves down with the top three at 68 for three. So the pendulum swings towards Australia well and truly. Um, a guy like Marsh who can't get into the team originally gets 118 runs and he got 97 of those in boundaries I've just added up I think it was yeah 97 in boundaries how good a batting is that Smithy? that's powerful hitting I, I watched a lot of it I've got to say I didn't want to um, I'm not of an age now that I can sit up all night and watch something and then front up the next morning too much these days Kevin but I was glued I mean you can't take your eyes off that kind of power he just absolutely took it away, and England were in a situation where they had no answer. Oh, well and truly, and um, you know, it was just, you know, 97 in boundaries off 118, that, that's in a test match, that's unbelievable, and if, if you look at the, if you look at both batting orders, like Australia's top three, they scored 36 runs, England's top three got 35 runs. Um, as I um, alluded earlier, I think Labuschagne, he, he is no good with that moving ball out, outside the off stump. I don't think he's gone past 30. Warner, Broad got him again. I think that, 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 that's about the 18th yeah. time he, he's got him. Um, and I thought um, Bears McCullum's selections um, were, were pretty good this time. I think he got Wooden and he got Wokes, and they should have been in initially for Anderson. And the other, I think he, he should have, I don't know, I, I couldn't understand how he brought Brooks up from five to three when Brooks was out of form anyway, and yeah. Roots virtually opened, and he's on 19 after about 43 balls. Well, I, I, there's a lot of things that Baz will be second-guessing. Uh, there's a lot of sentiment around Anderson, of course, uh, but when you see the way Wokes bowled last night, Wokes was unbelievably good. I mean, he should have got to five wickets, Wokes. He had no luck at all with his catches behind the wicket, uh, none at all. Um, their fielding was very, very poor. And, 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 you know, when you see a guy like Joe Root with a good pair of hands put down two relatively basic first-slip catches, uh, and then, of course, uh, Bairstow is... I've got to say, Johnny Bairstow is not in great physical shape, I don't feel, anyway. I mean, he looks like he's been out of the game for a long time, and he has, uh, and his glove work is just not up to par. So <clears throat> when you want to play against Australia, Kevin, you bring your A game, which means you catch at a very, very high rate, and England have not done that. No, I agree with you. I agree with you, Smithy. And you look at the Australian bowling, and Marsh has come into it already. I think he's bowled nine overs. He's got well, nine overs, one, one wicket already. Um, yeah. And he's in for Green, and Green's a good player, so that's going to be an interesting pick for the next test, isn't it? No. Um, the other thing I can't understand, Smithy, is how many chances does Crawley get? Crawley cannot play the swinging ball. He cannot play it. I'm surprised that Brennan's shown the faith there. I mean, that's been one of his uh, hallmarks already, and it's only a very, very new tenure. We're still only in the first year of it, of a four- or five-year contract for Brendan. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs in it. But this was always a series uh, that you uh, you sense it had to be earmarked as being very, very important to the cause um, after they displayed such good form against other sides. But here's the, th the, th the thing for me is that you cannot afford 
to keep playing a guy who is out of form and basically a walking wicket. And that, to me, is what Crawley is at the moment. Um, you know, he might be a nice guy. He might have a, a great future ahead of him. But you don't experiment at Ashes time. And surely throughout England, surely there's someone in county cricket showing better technique and better, uh, better run production at the top of the order. Well, if you look at Crawley, um, Smithy, they're one for they're one, they're one for eight every game, and then you look, they bring up an out of form guy in, in Brooks to number three, and then you've got a guy as we as we just talked about in um, Besto at number five, and he does not look fit. And so there's three players that aren't making runs, so you're actually three for none. Yeah, I totally agree, absolutely, Kevin. I, I love your observations. Uh, Mate, and I look forward to day two. And if it, if it um, travels at as great a rate as day one, it's not going five days. This test match, I promise you that. Uh, Kevin from Titarangi with his uh, uh, views there on uh, the Ashes. So uh, let's get across to uh, Cliff from Dunedin. Uh, Cliff, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Smithy. How you doing today? Yeah, uh, I spoke. To... <laughs> You're good. Hey, I spoke to you yesterday. Uh... It's all about the point of difference, and certainly um, Wood has a difference, and so did Wokes. Now, for me, Wokes is a better team bowler than than the other three. That's Broad, Anderson, or Robinson. He, he does more with the ball, and he, to me, he should have been playing in the first test with Wood if he was available, and I would have picked one of the other three. To me, they're, they're just not informed. They got haven't got any gas. You know, they're not attacking enough. And if he wanted to go out there and take on the Aussies, he needed his best players. And I just don't know why he goes back to the, the older guys all the time. You know, and, and like you say about Bearstow, a poor gloveman, they drop and catches. And if the keeper can't catch, it tends to bumble into the slip cord as well. And he needs to be able to, you know, the keeper sets the, sets the whole thing about what's behind the wicket, doesn't he? You know that. If, if you set up the line, where they stand, and how they set themselves. And, you know, you can't be the professional keeper. And if you're going to put, play a bunny who's out of weight and overweight, you're going to have problems. And I think that's where it's been for them. Look, uh, he's not as fit as he was, Johnny Best, though, when he was at his pomp. Um, you know, he broke a leg and, and takes a lot of cricket and a lot of fitness and Glove work, uh, wicket-keeping-wise, he wouldn't have done a hell of a lot going into the series. They picked him on a terms of uh, not on his keeping ability. They picked him because he's good batting insurance, and that's what a lot of sides do these days. Uh, and they've made uh, a mistake there because he's let them too, down too much. For uh, you, you counter the mistakes he's made with the runs he's scoring, and there's just nothing. There's no production on, on either side of it. So at, at this stage, it's a very, very poor selection they have who I believe in the best uh, glove man in the world at the moment, Ben Folks. England have always set the standard at Test Cricket with their keeper over the years, um, but then they've, of late they've started to experiment, uh, experiment a lot more than they normally do uh, because of the fact <coughs> that they're needing to uh, cover the batting side of things and, and add to the batting strength. Uh, and to me, that's just, that's just letting them down because their, their dismissal rate, their catching rate... Uh, they put Marsh down last night, uh, very early on in the piece. Uh, that was a basic catch from Joe Root. Um, and Johnny Bairstow then uh, turned around and put Travis Head down minutes or so later. Both of the players that put on over 140 should have been back in the pavilion and they would have perhaps been chasing down 200 or less. Those mistakes are crucial. They really are. Cliff, uh, great observation. Thank you very much. Neville from Makaiapoi, good morning to you. Got your eyes on the, the Women's Open, Neville? 
Yeah, I just watched Lydia hit her first right down the middle, so that's, that's encouraging. Oh, dear. But poor old Emmanuel, five over after five. It's a pretty tough course. Um, and Jin Young Ko, the world's number one, he had a seven over, so um, it's not much fun out there, but look at it. Yeah. Um, I also want to just, just briefly, um, Daniel Hillier, um, his win was outstanding in many ways, um, and I believe he's going to do well at the Scottish Open and the British Open, um, simply because of the way he played. It wasn't. It, it, there were no holes that, that were over troubling, if, if you know what I mean. His bogeys were well spread. Uh, his birdies were well spread. His course management was superb, I felt. Um, and also his fiance, his um, partner, I should say, Siobhan, I was talking to her just a couple, couple three nights ago, and she's just flown over to join him. So um, I'd imagine she's going to give him a lot of um, encouragement for the uh, next two tournaments as well. Um, yeah, well, Team, Team Hillier looks very strong. It looks very, very strong indeed. And, you know, um, once you make yourself financially secure for a season... It takes a lot of pressure yeah. for a, off a young player. A lot of pressure. Yeah. That's right, and he's got the he's got the length. That's that's the amazing thing. He was hitting drives three seventy, three sixty five regularly. Um, yeah. Now, look, just the other thing: the cricket England have shot themselves in the foot again, as you've been saying. Um, I can't understand why Wood and Wokes weren't in the team. From the beginning, it doesn't make sense. I don't think Wood was 100% fit uh, in that regard. Uh, Chris Wokes has always been a, a reliable uh, performer. I, I thought he bowled as well as I've ever seen him bowl in Test cricket last night. I, I really did. I thought his control was absolutely outstanding. So uh, really good, uh, Neville. Uh, you go and watch Lydia. Looks like she might make birdie on number one. And thanks very much for your call. That is 9.44 here on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up, know when to fold up, Smithy's multi, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, over the weekend, uh, I've got uh, four options here for us to consider. The Warriors to beat the Eels tomorrow. <clears throat> that, of course, is sixty-one. Uh, I think the Rabbitohs will beat the Bulldogs on uh, current form. Uh, the Rabbits were pretty impressive against us uh, last week. The Bulldogs are uh, anything but this year, $1.54. Um, Andreescu to beat uh, Kalanina in the women's singles at Wimbledon. That is $1.68. And I believe that uh, the South Africa, the Springboks, will beat uh, the Wallabies at $1.35 over there at Loftus. So uh, that is the Warriors, the Rabbits, Andreescu into South Africa. And that multi's up to $5.62 uh, in that respect. Uh, a number of uh, texts uh, still coming in. Um, frustrating uh, All Blacks pick your best team and make the others earn a crack. No charity ever for the All Blacks jersey. Too many selections to single out, but at least half that team is favouritism and charity picks. Okay, thanks for that. It is uh, coming up to uh, 10 o'clock here on SCNZ. Going to go to Vegas. Going to go to Vegas and talk to Lightning Mike Angove about UFC 
2.90 coming up on Sunday. Well, UFC 290, uh, highlighted by Volkanovski versus uh, Rodriguez, takes place this Sunday, our time, uh, around about 10 a.m., that one, uh, featuring a stack of uh, really good title matches, return of Dan the Hangman Hooker, a possible title challenger, uh, challenger for the Stylebender, of course, uh, and then some of UFC's more intriguing prospects and a veteran legend of the game set to hang up the gloves. As uh, it is an international fight week, uh, we only go to one person, uh, especially when that person is on the ground in Vegas uh, with uh, a lot of the vested interest in those fighters this weekend. It's uh, Lightning Mike Angove we're talking to, um, and uh, we would uh, welcome him onto the show this morning. Uh, Mike, uh, how's the buzz in Vegas? This is a really impressive card. Yeah, look, it certainly is, and it's slowly building up. I remember, too, a couple of days ago was Fourth uh, of July, so you know there's already been a little bit of celebrations. The press conference is happening as we speak. Um, I've skipped out of it, but uh, they were they were queued up, uh, sort of an, an hour away from the just the press conference opening. So you know there's there's a lot of hype around the show. International Fight Week, billboards everywhere, um, and as always, what a place to be. You know, Vegas, which is really the fight capital of the world. Right, let's look at uh, Hooker, uh, Hang- Dan the Hangman Hooker against Turner. It's 11 against 12. They match up pretty well. Yeah, well, look, it's a really interesting fight because uh, Hooker's used to being the, the taller guy and the rangier guy at lightweight, but Jalen's three. Um, you know, so he's basically Israel's height. Um, so fortunately, we, we've got some big guys in the gym. He's also a southpaw. Um, so that's a puzzle for, for Dan to solve in terms of finding his range and, and finding the length and adapting to be the being the, the shorter guy. So, um, you know, there's, there's a few puzzles to solve, but he's, he's prepared really well. Um, there's, there's a good game plan in place. And, look, it's a critical fight because Jalen's... Uh, Jalen, although he's coming off a loss to, to Gamrot, um, he's cut a swathe through his opposition recently and he's, he's a highly touted prospect. So this is really a gateway back into those top five fights at lightweight. So, so Mike, uh, when you look at uh, a taller opponent, which is, a, as you say, uh, a departure from the norm for Dan Hooker, what are the, what are the attributes you're looking for in terms of, um, in terms of Turner? What, what do you have to be wary of? Well, the first thing is a left-handed southpaw. Um, you know, so you, everything uh, everything works in reverse uh, if, if you're a southpaw, um, meaning that you know the power hands coming from from behind you in what's called an open stance, um, and and obviously the lead hand is in a different place. But most importantly, when when you are the shorter of the two fighters, you've got to find ways to to kill their their main advantage, which is usually their jab, uh, to take care of that. And you've got to be very patient. Um, you can't just uh, rush in and, and press willy-nilly um, because at this level that, that's extremely dangerous. In many ways, if you're the shorter fighter, your range needs to be better than uh, than the taller fighter. You need to be very patient and you need to uh, pick your moments and when you do get in, you need to work hard. You've had uh, Craig Jones in camp uh, recently. He's uh, a jiu-jitsu and grappling world champion, uh, extremely high-level practitioner. Uh, what could, what kind of influence could we see coming from his involvement? Um, 
Well, I mean, he's primarily been involved in Volk's camp, um, and obviously Volk's got Yair Rodriguez, who is um, a very aggressive jiu-jitsu guy off his back. Um, so, you know, Craig, um, at, at the level he is, which is just incredible, I mean, he gave away, um, I, I think, about 15 kilos to Nicky Rodriguez over the weekend, you know, in, in a pure grappling match. So, um, you know, he, he, is, he is not just high level, he is the elite of the elite. So it's been very beneficial to have him in the camp because um, uh, Rodriguez is, is opportunistic. He's aggressive. He uses his jiu-jitsu um, really as his, as his defense on the ground by being offense, if that makes sense. So um, you know, Volk has to be very, very well prepared for unusual situations and quite explosive situations in terms of submissions off the ground. It's uh, an air of uh, unpredictability, isn't there, about the way that uh, Rodriguez goes about things? That would be a danger too. Yeah, and uh, we've been fortunate. We've got uh, Carl Van Roonenkamp, who's a 10-time World Taekwondo champ. Um, and obviously we've got Blood Diamond, also one of our um, uh, very unorthodox fighters out of city kickboxing. So that's given Volk you know, a, a look of unorthodoxy and uh, against sort of taller guys who can sling legs from anywhere off, off either leg. So, you know, it's really just about getting looks that are as similar as possible to Rodriguez, who, again, as I said, he's very, very aggressive. Um, he throws a lot of stuff, he throws it unorthodoxly, and he throws it very hard. So, um, you know, uh, that's, that's a look you have to, have to get familiar with so you can deal with it and put the fight to where your strengths are. So can you, uh, of the two fights we've talked about already, the Hooker-Turner fight and, of course, uh, the Volkanovski-Rodriguez uh, fight, um, which way do you see them going? <laughs> well, given, given, we're, given we're coaching both of them, there's only one way I can see them going, mate. Um, look, and two, without sort of asking me a question that I'm always going to answer that the, that the Kiwi and the Aussie's going to win, um, look, I think Rodriguez is a very hard fight. He's unorthodox. He brings something different that Volk hasn't seen before. Um, so, you know, that's going to be a, a high IQ fight where Volk is going to need to need to make his reads um, and make his adjustments to what's a very different rhythm. But ultimately, uh, he's a guy with a tremendous gas tank, real strength, um, you know, that can grind a guy down. And he, he's better all round. Um, Hooker versus Jalen. Um, you know, Hooker's fought a lot of southpaws. Um, in, in his last few fights, a, a tremendous amount of southpaws. So he, he knows that southpaw look, and to a certain extent that nullifies the southpaw advantage. Um, so as long as it's uh, not a decision to, to stand and bang, I think, uh, I think Hooker's uh, capable of getting himself back inside that top five. Okay, cool. Uh, good confidence coming out of the group there. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, Whitaker versus Duplessis. Uh, this is a title challenger eliminator. Um, apparently, as he wants to fight uh, Duplessis next in Sydney. Uh, but um, how do you see this particular fight with Whitaker? And uh, if Whitaker was to win this, what's his pathway? I mean, it's pretty clear. If Whitaker wins, um, he goes into that trilogy rematch with with Izzy. But before I get started, let me just say what a plonker Duplessis is. Um, you know, a boy South Africa claiming that he represents Africa. Um, yeah, sure, it's promoting the fight, and that that he's he's more representative of Africa than a Nigerian born there. I, 
Yeah, and then then claiming that Israel is pulling the race card, absolute plonker. Um, so that and that's a very mild comment coming from me. Yes, it will uh, promote the fight, and yes, it's aroused Israel's interest um, because of that, and that's why we're hoping he'll he'll put Whitaker to the test. But you know, I I couldn't think of any worse cliche than a colonising boar coming on board and saying that he represents Africa more than the than the Nigerian kid who was born there. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, just. Yeah, let's 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 just say um, you know I'm not the only one who wants Duplessis to win um, because uh, we, we we'd like to see him um, him hushed up and hushed up well. <laughs> okay, tactically then, um, aside from the the, um, uh, the psychological edge you see in the fight for the very reasons you've just uh, illustrated to us, I, I just wonder uh, about the tactical side of it and and this one. Well, uh, Whitaker is, is, is better all round. He's, he's a better wrestler. Um, his striking is sharper and quicker, um, and uh, you know he, he's better better at jujitsu. I think that Duplessis is raw. He's got one hit a quitter power. Um, he's capable of, of touching a chin, and, and Rob does need to be careful. He has been dropped, um, you know, albeit by heavy hitters on a couple of occasions. Um, so you know, Duplessis is, is in with more than a punch's chance. But I think Rob's fight IQ over the over the long run will be better. But as I say, um, uh, Duplessis versus Adesanya in Sydney um, is a fight I would love to see. But um, I think it I think it would be um, very much uh, in in favour of Whitaker in terms of the odds in my book. Where does Sean Strickland fit into the picture there in terms of uh, possibility in Sydney? Um, oh look, he's a guy who'll talk it up. He's a guy who the Americans will will watch, um, you know, because he's you never quite know what's going to come out of his mouth. Um, he's certainly a guy that uh, um, I, I think um, if Israel were to fight him, it, that's uh, that's not a fight you'd say no to. Um, you know, Strickland's coming off good performance against the young up and comer last time out. He showed that there's levels to the game. Um, you know, and look, do do we really want to just keep recycling the, the same opponents? Um, you know, very few people get the opportunity of, of a trilogy when you've already beaten them twice. The flyweight title is also on the line with uh, Brenda Moreno taking on uh, Alex uh, Pantoja. Um, they both have uh, fought Kaikara France, so they're opponents that we've seen before. Um, what do you expect in this uh, a high-paced battle? Yeah, I mean, down down in that way, everything's high paced. It's a million miles now. I think, I think Moreno has more uh, five round experience against better strikers than Pantoja. Uh, Pantoja's striking it's improved, but it's a bit ragged. Um, yeah, in comparison to Moreno, who, who's, who's striking um, is, is very very good. Um, and as we saw against his performance against Kai, um, you know, in a, in a seesawing backwards and forwards battle between those two, um, you know, Pantoja really good with his jiu-jitsu. You don't want him on your back. Um, he, he's opportunistic, um, and, and he's got a lot of uh, submission victories. But a, again, I, I think Moreno just has a bit more experience. Um, and and I, I think he, he will claim that one back. Of course, Moreno lost 
uh, a three-rounder uh, several years ago, but this is a very, very different brand of Moreno now, and uh, Pantoja will need to fight above and beyond himself. Uh, Mike, just finally, anything else on the card that we should uh, look out for in, in terms of uh, UFC 290, uh, the, the ones that perhaps we haven't got such a vested interest in? Oh, look, it's great. I mean, I would just watch the entire card. There's, there's great cards uh, throughout that. Obviously, Bo Nickel, uh, the next middleweight protege, is also there. Um, he's a very good grappler. His, his, his striking is... Uh, less than impressive at this point, but uh, the UFC have uh, got a vested interest in him. And, of course, Robbie Lawler's retirement fight, um, you know, he's been a great servant to this game since right back uh, of the dawning of, of UFC, really. He's been there for so long. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, for if you're a fan, you, you'll watch just to see Robbie Lawler's final fight. Okay, uh, fantastic, Mike. Thanks for the preview. Thanks uh, for the confidence. Uh, we look forward to uh, all those results being uh, in the, the favour of uh, you and your camp. Uh, enjoy Vegas. I'm sure you're uh, very experienced at doing that, but uh, enjoy this weekend. We look forward to the action on Sunday. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys, and uh, thanks to everyone for, for, for tuning in on Sunday. We look forward to it. Yep, we do too. Uh, thanks. Uh, Mike Angove out of uh, Las Vegas there. Uh, really, really interesting matchups there, and uh, good to hear the level of confidence he's got. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, another good performance from the Volk, as they call him. It's ten sixteen here on SCNZ. Right, let's uh, look at uh, two or three of your texts that have come in, and thanks very much, uh, Jeremy. Uh, hey, Smithy, it kind of looks like those final players are a bit worse for wear. We're talking about the Super Rugby final. Uh, if you look at the selection here, there's some guys who... Uh, he needs to look at, get up to speed. Roy Gard would really uh, suit Oz in the last 25 minutes. Fozzie is going after the Rugby World Cup. It's all put together to get there. This is just the start. Bear that in mind, uh, I do, as well, Jeremy. I think that's a very good point. We're not playing for the town clock this weekend. Uh, we are looking at uh, building up uh, things, and that's why we're questioning some of those selections, because uh, we, uh, when you look at uh, trying to find things out as part of your build-up, um, you look to to give players opportunities rather than just go back to players who you know what you will get out of, i.e. Bowden Barrett at 15, Coles at 2. Uh, Smithy, like the squad, big chance for McKenzie to make the jersey uh, number 10 jersey his. Well, there'll be a lot of people down south, including my co-host here, uh, Louis Herman Watts, uh, shaking their head about this. Um, they uh, obviously believe that Moonga is number one, and this is just an, a reward and an opportunity for McKenzie as such. Bowden at 15 was always going to be that, just to, to lear on the wing instead of Nariwa when fit, and that will be our World Cup backline, says Ken. Okay, just to have a look at that, Ken. So this is what you uh, believe here uh, with um, Bowden at 15, this was going to be. So you're looking at Bowden Barrett, Mark Talia, um, Caleb Clark, Rico Ioane, Geordie Barrett, Mackenzie and Smith as our starting back in the World Cup, our starting backs in the World Cup, Ken. Mm, okay, interesting. <coughs> yeah, don't need to say anything, Louis. You don't need to say anything. Just hold, keep your powder dry. Uh, hey, John is coming. Hey, Smithy, I feel like this is probably what uh, you what you just said uh, about uh, Nepo and Offer. Seriously, both were so bad against Ireland last year. We had to drop them for two virtual rookies and Lomax in the group. Nepo is so, so far from an all-black uh, Ad Bodie and Clarkin, and I'm sorry to say that but Smith's time at the Blues has clouded his judgment. Uh, no matter how poor they play, they seem to get rewarded. I thought we'd done with the Blues pampering once Grant Fox ha had gone away from the scene, um, but it seems like this coaching team 
doesn't learn very concerning and far from excited about that All Blacks 15. And that is from John. Um, Kevin has come in to thank you, Louis. Thanks uh, for uh, all the update yesterday. All up, I, I should say. Race one on to Louis. Louis, my $10 got me 120 or so. Beer money. Looking forward to your tips Saturday morning. Go, Louis. Hmm. And it did. I saw Louis Louis get up at decent money. Uh, Chris has come in and said, Great day of cricket, Smithy. Good innings by Marsh. You bowled well as well. If I was green, I'd be worried, but I expect the hometown boys route. And best, though, to have a big partnership on day two. England need a big lead. Well, they've got to get that close anyway, put it that way. As long as they don't concede a lead of uh, 70 or 80 um, and have Australia come out at uh, 70 or 80 for none, uh, I think uh, they've got a, a starter's chance. But They've got to do a whole lot of things, a lot of uh, things, uh, a lot better than they're doing at the moment. Uh, they're just not giving themselves uh, too much of an opportunity. Uh, right, Louis, you can uh, pop on in now. So, no chance for Moonga in the starting fifteen, eh? I just don't know what Ken watched in that semi-final from those players. I'm like, I'm willing to give Bowden Barrett. Oh, am I? I'm willing to give Rico Yuani and Finlay Christie more chances because they were victims of circumstance. I think Bowden Barrett is in a different. He's in a kind of in a situation of his own where he's probably out of form, but he's probably respectfully he's been a great of the black jersey. He's been one of our great. He's going to become the second most capped All Blacks back, and that's not coincidence. He's been a great player, but respectfully he's passed his best. And I think you'd be a brave person to argue with that. And Caleb Clark, look, Lester Fanganuku's not there, so they can't play him. But Caleb Clark, is there some preferential treatment going on here? Or is he a favoured child of some description? Like, I don't understand why Caleb Clark, the obsession with persisting with Caleb Clark, when he's just so badly out of form, when you have players in form. I mean... The selectors, I'm not going to pretend like we know more than the selectors. These guys agonise over this stuff. Jace Ryan, Joe Schmidt, Ian Foster, three very intelligent rugby minds. So they do this doing the best and with obvious, obvious reasons. They don't just make this stuff up. But I just can't understand some of the, um, the rankings they have in certain positions. And... I just am starting to read the tea leaves around Caleb Clark, and I think they they really want him to be involved in some capacity. But for me, the horse is bolted, and I just I don't know what we watched in that Blues Crusaders semi final that would tell you that those guys are the the right men. And then you know, so you might say, well, this this all uh, Argentina test is last chance saloon for some of these guys. Prove yourself, your Nipo Lalalas, your Offa Tungafasis, your Dan Coles. Prove yourself, you're Caleb Clark, so this is your chance. But if that's the case and you're going slightly experimental, how can you not give Sean Stevenson or Cam Roygaard a run? Because I don't think, if you're not going to play them against Argentina, you're probably not going to drop them in the, the deep end against South Africa when South Africa have sent all of their best players here. And that will be the real get a line on the All Blacks test next week. That's the one we'll get a line on. So I can't see them playing those guys then. So I just... I'm kind of feeling like they're stuck half in, half out on trying to work out who their best 23 is. And I just have never felt more off kilter with an all-black selection panel. Not for years, really. Okay, fair enough. Um, and I, and I, look, I, if they're going to play Caleb Clark, they've got to use him better. That guy is a massive presence. He's a huge beast of a man. 
but his involvement in most games of rugby is minimal. It's minimal. He's got to be more involved. He's got to be busier. He's got to be hungrier. He's got to be told to be. I mean, he's got to be shown that that, that is the style of play they want him to have. Uh, because when he's ball in hand with space, that's what you want from Caleb Clark. It's, it's as honest as that. Uh, the other thing uh, about non, the non-use of Roy Gard at this point is they obviously clearly think he's not ready yet. He hasn't learnt the, <clears throat> the all-black ways. He's not quite up to speed in, in some of what they want to do. Otherwise, if you look at the selections of Barrett and you look at the selection of Dane Coles, uh, why the hell did you drop Brad Weber? Why did you drop Brad Weber? And, and what, um, what significance does this uh, All Black 15 game have against the Japan 15, that, uh, whose side I haven't seen yet? <laughs> um, what, uh, what, is, what, is, what are you really thinking you're going to get out of that uh, tomorrow? And incidentally, we were trying to get someone uh, out of that uh, All Black 15 camp for an interview this morning. Uh, we were booked in. We had one. And then we got um, a message this morning to say, no, we can't have them because they've got meetings. So, <laughs> uh, very, very interesting. Uh, maybe, we're, maybe we've been blackballed um, uh, like uh, the media from uh, <laughs> NRL players, but uh, it's just pretty symbolic for me of how it's all going at the moment, Louis. I, I know you've, you're pulling your hair out over this one. Well, it's you know, maybe it would be easier to rationalise some of the the All Black selection panel's decisions if they posted an interview per se with Ian Foster. There's one New Zealand travelling media, Elliot Smith, who's a ripping guy, and and I've been in touch with Smithy, other Smithy Smithy, and he is he's going, oh, hey, pretty good for media on the ground there. <laughs> yeah, it would be because we don't know what they're thinking. We've got no idea, and that. And they try and tell us that the fans want to come first. Well, help me understand why you hate Sean Stevenson. Explain it to me. Defensive flaws? What? 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 Where? Give him a chance. I don't know. It's tedious. It's 10.30 also. I think we should go to the news. Right. Fresh off his success yesterday. Uh, Louis Herman Watt uh, is uh, back in the chair again in terms of uh, our... Uh, thoroughbred racing possibilities uh, today and over the weekend. Awapuni synthetic today, and then Awapuni grass tomorrow with a meeting to it to Rapa. So uh, busy in the Palmerston North area. Yeah, let's cleanse ourselves with some thoroughbred action, shall we, Smithy? Let's just drop the shoulders and relax into a little bit of thoroughbred. So I think that's that's what we should do. And uh, I think the, it's it's pretty cool how they've got the synthetic today and then the. Um, turf tomorrow we've obviously got two very different types of horses that'll be both there and racing today and racing tomorrow i found a couple i don't mind today at the alapuni synthetic but being brutally honest i don't love it as much as i loved yesterday i'm finding it a little bit tricky um miss bell tamaya tyro is riding really well miss bell in race one tamaya tyro is riding really well as i just said and this gets a low barrier draw and a nice weight. It's short enough, though, at $2.70. But that would be one of the best bets of the day for me. And then we've also got uh, a, a smart filly called Tavia Rama uh, in race three for Tiaka. And Michael McNabb jumps on here. It's two fifty into two ten, so there's zero value around it. No, oh, I mean, it's a double your money. It might be a bit of a multi-filler. It just went missing last start on the heavy track at Tarapa. It's a forgive for me. It gets Nabber on. Uh, the market respected it that day. The market's going to respect it again today. Um, I think this filly will be too good for this field. So I'm happy to be with Tavirama, even around the short odds. Um, 
And then tomorrow, well, I've got a couple of bets I like, but I just want to do a few more uh, re- video replays and try and work out what sort of track we're going to get uh, at Awapuni and Tarapa. But there is massive news that's come out today around the Thoroughbred World Smithy. Did you see the news around I Wish I Win and the world's richest race? No, I haven't. Sorry, so enlighten me. Well, I Wish I Win, the, the star galloper that Peter Moody has in his barn, obviously started its racing here. It, it wears the... Uh, famous blue and white green jacket of Waikato stud that we mention from time to time. Now, I wish I win was born with feet that looked more crooked than Joe's. And Joe ran a half marathon, by the way. And I wish I win, coincidentally, has gone on to win Group 1s and the Golden Eagle. It's already won a stack of that Peter Volandi's prize money in New South Wales. Well, this is really, really exciting news. They were always going to get a slot in the Everest, which is worth a, oh, something like $20, $25 million now. They were always going to get a slot. But knowing Mark Chittick and knowing the Chittick family, genuine patriots, genuine New Zealand racing tragics and lifers, they have given, literally bred so much into this game in New Zealand. They were always going to prefer a a slot holder or a slot option with some sort of New Zealand twist to it. And I don't know how likely that was to happen, but Entain, T-A-B, We've spoken so much about this partnership. Entain are big players. They, through their Ladbrokes and Neds brands, have done this sort of thing plenty. The Ladbrokes will always take a slot in a slot race. They are big supporters of that sort of stuff. The big believers in punting directly correlates to the racing. Let's invest in the game. Let's let punters be a part of the game. Let's get our brand at the forefront of it. Well, through this merger and and this um, partnership, TAB, under the, the umbrella of Trackside, They've managed to acquire Inglis's slot for this race, the Everest, and they've got I Wish I Win, a New Zealand slot uh, rental with a New Zealand-owned bred horse, trained by Peter Moody, who, by the way, is an honorary Kiwi, even though he's as Australian as it gets, in the Waikato stud jacket for a squillion dollars. This is one of the coolest stories in racing through a, a very dark and, and wet winter. It's really exciting. It's got great people involved. It, this is the big race of, yeah, the Melbourne Cup, Cox Plate, Caulfield Cup. But the Everest is the, the high-value glitz and glamour of Sydney's spring, and now we've got a direct Kiwi connection to it, and we're going to absolutely fizz it up here on SCNZ Smithy. It's really, really cool and a good news story to um, settle the All Black selection nerves. Okay. That is uh, wonderful news, having a vested interest in a race of that magnitude with that kind of prize money. Absolutely significant, as you say. Uh, something to really, really look forward to. It is uh, 10.36. Uh, we'll stay on the racing theme uh, as we uh, look forward to uh, a little chat with Greg O'Connor very shortly on harness racing action over the weekend. It is uh, 10.42 here on SENZ and time to catch up with uh, Greg O'Connor um, to talk a little bit about uh, harness racing coming up uh, over the weekend here. But uh, should I say, there must be some great money in racing, you know, because uh, normally we would be speaking to Mick Guerin. Well, Mick's been an ascot. Uh, we've tried to get hold of Greg O'Connor. Um, and where's Greg? Uh, he's in Brisbane. Oh, things are going pretty good for you, lads. I, um, I can uh, ascertain Greg O'Connor. What takes you to Brisbane, please? 
Yeah, good morning to you, Smithy. Uh, a carnival called the Constellations, which is in its third year. It's the harness racing carnival at uh, Albion Park, and I was lucky enough last year to uh, come over as a bit of a, an ambassador, I suppose, for want of a better term, and do all their presentations and that sort of thing, and uh, got involved with a bit of sky coverage too, and they invited me back, Smithy, so it must have gone okay. That's wonderful, uh, but... Uh uh, and on the back of that, of course, um, you're buoyed by the fact that you owned and bred a winner at Cambridge last night. Tell us about that. Yeah, look, it was uh, yeah, it was a pretty special moment, actually, Smithy. Um, we haven't had a winner, Karen and I, for probably six or seven years, and this is one that we uh, we bred ourselves along with her mum, Sue, and uh, it's out of a mare that her father, Austin, passed away about six or seven years ago, and um, this is the last mare, that, the last uh, horse that he had. So, um, yeah, a bit of sentiment involved, uh, Smithy, and I had a little bit of hands-on involvement with them, too, uh, being uh, born on the, on our place and um, and working them up before sending them up to a great mate of mine in, in the wizard, Todd Mitchell, who, uh, as you know, has uh, been a, a champion rangeman, driven over a 1,000 winners, four New Zealand Cups, so we had great confidence in sending the horse up to him, and um, he's done a magnificent job with him, and yeah, I mean, it was a maiden win in the last race in the middle of winter in, in July uh, at, at Cambridge, but it, it meant way more than the uh, than the stake of, of a maiden trotting race, and, and now I know what it feels like to uh, not only own a winner, but uh, to breed one as well. Excellent, excellent news. Uh, and uh, for people wanting to get involved in the harness racing, of course, hrnz.co.nz, uh, you can get involved with uh, ownership uh, just by uh, getting in contact there. Uh, Greg, uh, Group 1 action, though, tomorrow night um, in Brisbane. Uh, tell us a wee bit about that. Yeah, look, there's a, a really good horse. Uh, he, he's the best in Australia, I think, and he'd challenge anything uh, Australasia-wide. His name is Leap to Fame. Got to see him last year in the Derby here. He was brilliant in that. He's a three-time Derby winner, and he goes to a race called the Rising Sun, which is for three- and four-year-olds. The three-year-olds, if they accept into the race, get the best barrier draws, so that's Don Hugo and Rock and Roll Hammer, who's... Uh, Related to King of Swing, actually, uh, a three-quarter brother to him, King of Swing, a three-time Miracle Mile winner. But I don't think they're going to be good enough to beat Leap to Fame. If you get a chance to see it, it's uh, 10.53 New Zealand time. It'll be on, on TRB Trackside 1, and, and he's just a superstar Leap to Fame. He's drawn the outside, Smithy, but he's uh, he's a dollar fifty, and he deserves to be. He's trained by Grant Dixon, who's an outstanding horseman uh, here in Queensland. And, yeah, Leap to Fame will be too good for them in that. There's Kiwi interest, though. There's a horse in it called Can't Find a Better Man, who's trained by Belinda McCarthy. Luke will be doing the driving. Uh, Part-owned uh, by some Kiwis, uh, Dave McHugh, who was the mine host at the Yoldi for many, many years, and uh, Graham Anderson, who's uh, a pretty handy sort of a trainer, is amongst the owners involved and can't find a better man. So it'd be the uh, the logical Quinella. Kiwi horses that are racing tomorrow night, Manhattan takes her place against the Mayor. She's had two runs, two excellent thirds. She comes up with barrier four in the Ladyship Stakes which is at 9.13 tomorrow night. and uh, She's got a decent chance too. She should be able to go forward, although she might have to sit parked again, and that's not a whole lot of fun. And Mark Jones has hot to trot in the other group one on the night. Now, this is a brand-new race called the Great Square, which uh, Queensland Harness Racing has really uh, upped the ante in the last two or three seasons. They've got about $3 million in stakes, Smithy, for this carnival, and Mark's targeted this race with uh, Hot to Trot. It's for 150000 He's come up with a beautiful barrier draw of five. Jack Trainer, who's been looking after the horse, ex-Kentuckiana, uh, Crandall Getty, 
stable. He will do the driving, and uh, he's had two wins here, one in Sydney and one uh, one here at Albion Park, and I reckon he'll take all sorts of beatings, Smithy, and he's about 8 or $9, which is about my price. Oh yeah, you, you like you like something at an each way tota a value, don't you, Greg? Hey, we're just chatting. I wish I win off to the Everest. New Zealand is taking horses to Australia. Um, we've had so much success in the last twelve months on the uh, thoroughbred side. I know that obviously Copy that has spent a bit of time and had some hiccups along the way in Australia. We've seen Mark Purden travel horses successfully. In the harness realm, with this prize money injection you're talking about in Brisbane and right around the place in both Victoria and New South Wales, are we seeing more of it or is it harder to do with travel expenses and, and finding the right sort of horse to travel in the harness scam? I think you, the last uh, statement you made there is that you're still going to have the right sort of horse. They can put up as much money as they want or it can be as expensive as it wants, but you've still got to have the right sort of horse. And we, we have had copy that at this carnival. We had Amazing Dream as well. She won the first ever Rising uh, Sun and then came out and won the Blacks of Fate with Blair Orange in the bike. So, uh, yeah, it, it's I suppose the, the stables that you would expect to be at these types of carnivals, uh, the one thing that's changed considerably has been the horse birth date. And I think our trainers, the, the Mark Purdens, the, the Crandell Gettys, the, even the Barry Purdens. Now, Merlin was coming for this Rising Sun race uh, tomorrow night, but uh, he's got a foot uh, abscess, so um, that put him back. And when you're taking on a horse like Leek to fame, they decided to, to give that a miss. And, of course, he's owned by Dean Shannon, so it would have made logical sense for him to be here. But, yeah, I, I think there will be a gravitation, particularly to this carnival, because the one thing that I'm seeing at the moment, boys, as I look out my window, is the sun. And I haven't seen a lot of that in Canterbury lately. It was minus three when I left yesterday, so I was pretty happy to see that. I reckon that might be enough to attract a few more stables to come to the Queensland Constellations too. Well, uh, aside from uh, that, and we were, we were talking uh, just a little bit about uh, I Wish I Win, but uh, also, uh, Greg, uh, there is a, I believe, a $1 million Greyhound race tonight you might be attending. $1 million bucks in the space of, what, 25, 30 seconds? Yeah, incredible, isn't it? Uh, it's about 100 metres from where I'm based here, and we've got a Kiwi in it. And not only have we got a Kiwi in it, he's favourite. He's a dollar eighty-five. His name's Postman Pat, and he's won, I think it's seven from seven across here. Um, yeah, I'll go over there with my Kiwi flag, absolutely. I will be smithy. Um, last year, I went to the Brisbane Cup, and I thought, wow, this is incredible. It's a half-million-dollar race. How cool is this? They've doubled it. They've doubled the stake, and, and we've got a massive chance of winning it. So... I hope Postman Pat delivers. I'll be there anyway. Uh, fantastic. Uh, majorly exciting, I've got to say. That is drama. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, whilst you're away, it carries on at Addington. Uh, uh, they have uh, Addington tonight and Addington Harness on Sunday, which, of course, will be featuring on SENZ over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Trotstalk will be on on Sunday. Matt Markham's filling in with uh, Mick and I otherwise uh, away, so um, he'll be taking care in, in, of business there and finding you some winners for Sunday. couple for tonight, first start of Mark Jones, Blair Orange, race two, number five. Hasn't been missed by the bookies or the punters. Sweet Home Alabama should be winning race number two, so you know, you're talking your sports multi type of thing. Um, I would expect uh, you, you want to have it, and it'll end up being $1.75, $1.80, something like that. But Smithy, I, I think the way it's trialled, it's an absolute lock, and I've found one you mentioned it before, Louie. I do like one at value. Royal Dell, race eight, number nine. James Stormont, who's now working in Canterbury for Fred Fletcher. 
he takes the reins on uh, the son of Royal Aspirations. Uh, he needed the run last time, thought he found the line good. He's $10. That'll do me on an each-way basis. Well, you look after yourself over there, Greg. Uh, make sure you uh, have a terrific weekend and you get home safe and sound. Um, very jealous. Uh, sounds like you've got... Uh, a weekend from hell in terms of uh, the funding <laughs> side of things. Enjoy, mate. Good on Enjoy. you, Smithy. I'll find my way to yeah. the Breakfast Creek Hotel, mate. <laughs> I'll tell you, don't oh, worry about yeah. that. 4X. Say hello to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, say hello to the people at the Breakfast Creek Hotel. Uh, what a complex that is. Amazing complex. It is uh, 10.50. Uh, Greg O'Connor, have a terrific weekend. Right, uh, let's uh, just keep uh, Lydia, uh, a Lydia update. I don't know what's just happened there, but Lydia was one under after four, and she has duck-hooked off the tee on a par three. Something incredible, and I think she's in all sorts here. Uh, it's just come out of nowhere. I don't, I'm trying to analyse what's happened here, but it has just gone basically straight left off the tee uh, and almost, I think, into a hedge. It's just bizarre. It is so far left. It's like, oh, it's gone, gone. Gone, gone. We're looking at a big score here on a par three. Uh, take a break. Get over it. It's 10.51. Right, uh, coming up to 10.57 here, and uh, Lydia Co still looking for her ball on the fifth hole of par three, where she has just absolutely pulled it left into a hedge, which is uh, around about seven foot high. Uh, very hopeful, I think, that she'll find it in there. She's hit a second, a uh, uh, third off the tee, just in case, a provisional. And uh, that's not looking in great nick either. So maybe a big number coming up for Lydia Coe. Uh, we'll keep you posted with that. Amelia Garvey has improved from her five over to be three over after nine holes. So that's the New Zealand interest in the US Women's Open at Pebble Beach. Uh, Anthony has come in and said, good morning, Smithy. Uh, hey, do we know if Sean Johnson is playing uh, just tomorrow night, actually, mate? Uh, can't find out anything on it. Well, uh, we're really going on uh, what we're hearing out of the family and that... Um, Kayla Johnson was uh, on, on uh, Twitter just saying, look, uh, basically saying in a cryptic way to her unborn baby, you just stay there until uh, Daddy gets back from his trip away this weekend. Effectively, that's what she said. So uh, we're reading into that, that uh, Sean Johnson's uh, on his way over to play against the Eels. So it's yes. Um, uh, another text coming in from, um, must be from the Havelock North area because there's a Havelock North part-owned horse in the Group 3 tomorrow night at Albion Park. That's Swayze. Right, uh, okay, we'll make a, a mental note of that one as well. Uh, hey, lads, uh, the ABs have this fascination with playing a power winger alongside a fast winger. They have the same fascination with power second fives. Interesting. So we're, we're talking about um, um, Moni Narawa on one wing and a power winger and uh, Caleb Clark on the left wing. Gee, I hope they use them right. Ken says, Smithy, experiment time for the All Blacks is over. Only five tests away. Uh, remember, um, this is test level, and Caleb Clark proven, unlike Leicester, who has shown up at test level last season, not counting. So there you go. Uh, that's uh, from Ken, who uh, is uh, prone to a little bit of a, a blues bias, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Martin says, Hi, Smithy, agree 100% with you and Louis. I do feel that Caleb Clark has been hampered by Rico inside him as he never gets the ball in hand from him. Uh, loving being a neutral observer in the ashes as well, Martin. It's uh, fascinating, there's no doubt about that. Uh, All Blacks should be picked on form full stop. Steven should be, Stevenson should be starting. It's uh, another text. Uh, Mudgy has come in. What's he got to say this morning? Not much of any value, I would uh, assume. Uh, <laughs> but he has... 
Uh, he, what does he come in? And, oh, look, have we even wiped it? No, we haven't. Stevenson, question mark, omission, illustrates why the sooner we get over uh, the Foster era and uh, he's gone, the better. I just hope Stevenson is not lost in New Zealand meantime. Hmm. Don't know if I value that opinion or not. Probably not. Uh, Chris has come in and said, "What? Hey, to Mighty Williams be starting next week, and I will trust Bowden to be our 15 at the World Cup, and I think Rico will start all the games as he our 13, and we won't see any change there, especially when others get injured so easily and suspended, I suppose, in the case of Anton Leonard Brown. All right, we're going to try and uh, catch up with Brett Phillips uh, after the break. Now, Brett is uh, calling Wimbledon, um, and he's been involved calling the Andy Murray match against Pass. Hopefully we'll get him shortly. Right, 11.03, and of course we're right smack dab in the middle of uh, Wimbledon um, as we head towards the end of the first week, and there's been some intriguing tennis played already. Um, a number of uh, casualties which you expect at Grand Slams. We'll talk about that very shortly. But uh, on the line, we've got uh, Brent Phillips. Brent Phillips, who, of course, is uh, um, a tennis correspondent that we've used uh, out of Australia in the past. And uh, he's uh, been doing some commentating as well. And uh, we welcome him to the show this morning. And thank you very much uh, for staying up for us, Brett. Um, interesting match, uh, which has just been suspended, uh, that you're involved with uh, and Andy Murray and Sitsipas. Uh, quite, uh, quite the story here. Yes, but it was the uh, the popcorn match of the day uh, when the schedule was out, and and obviously we saw it when the draw uh, was released about a week ago, and we were starting to predict forward, you know, what what matchups could happen, and you know, you thought, okay, gee, those, these two can come head to head. There was a bit of feeling, you know, when they played U.S. Open two years ago in a five setter. Uh, when Stefanos went off for uh, what seemed like about a 20-minute toilet break and Andy showed a lot of displeasure. So there was a little bit of feeling. Uh, luckily, Stefanos has tidied things up in that area because he had a bit of a bad reputation. Uh, but they got on pretty late uh, with the, the the first two matches going a lot longer than expected. And, yeah, look, Andy, you know, lost the first set. But, gee, the way he rallied, 36 years of age, two metal hips to uh, just will himself to balls, you know, just moving like a gazelle, you know, I just... I couldn't believe it, um, you know, and, and the and the crowd, whatever it's worth. If you go back a decade, when Andy won gold at the London Olympics, he beat Roger, and then the following year he wins Wimbledon for the first time, breaks a, you know, seventy-seven year drought uh, for a British player to win. That sound, I close my eyes today, and it's exactly that same pulsating crowd uh, in his hip pocket. Is it's whatever it's worth. Uh, it, it certainly um, wasn't doing Stefano Tsitsipas any favours. So, yeah, obviously with the curfew in London, you can't play beyond 11 o'clock at night. Andy had a real uh, real momentum, and uh, Jerry Armstrong gave him, gave him the bad news. The tournament referee and said, no, nah, Andy, we better call the stumps there and come back tomorrow. So, yeah, we'll see whether that you know, that reset maybe uh, helps uh, Tsitsipas in some way. But, uh, yeah, it's been a quality match. So, Brett, how does this work in terms of the timing of when this match will restart? I mean, quite often you see suspended matches don't necessarily be first cab off the rank to get complete the next morning. What, what is the situation there? Yeah, so they've slotted it in for the second match on centre court. So uh, when the original schedule came out a couple of hours before, which it normally does, uh, Carlos Elcaraz, uh, the world number one, uh, was uh, top billing to open the day on centre court. So that, that'll stay the same because... Uh, Obviously, they've told Carlos in advance in terms of his preparation, uh, and then, yeah, obviously they they always yeah they always do that. They always uh, the, the matches in progress. They give those players just a little bit of extra time to recover overnight and and settle up again. So it'll um, yeah it won't 
hopefully throw out the schedule too much on centre court for the day. But it's been one of those weeks, and we've been playing catch up uh, with the amount of rain around London, which obviously affected the cricket as well. And it's um, you know obviously the the great thing about Grand Slam tennis is you normally have a day off in between matches, uh, but to play catch up, you know, there's players like Sitsipas, you know, beat Dominic Team yesterday in five, and has had to back up. Uh, today and play Murray, which could very well go to five in back-to-back days. But that's just what happens in order to get the schedule on track. Backing up off as a relatively successful French Open, Kasparud was expected to go quite a long way as the number four seed. Uh, and a local, Liam Brody, has uh, spoiled that party. Well, what, what a fa- I, I love these sort of stories. I mean, sort of fairy tale stories. This is, this is a man who's 29 years of age. If you put the if you put the map of the world out in front of you, he's been to just about every part of the world on the Challenger circuit, the ITF circuit. His highest ranking is 116. He's never been inside the top 100. But you know, being from one of the four Grand Slam nations, it's not something I totally agree with. But he's he's given a wild card. He wouldn't be given a wild card anywhere else. So, you know, he pockets a nice little sum of money, which uh, keeps him travelling around the world for the year. But in saying that, I, th- I sort of thought about this afterwards. Look, I mean, technically, yes, an upset on paper, but uh, I, I just cannot believe uh, as good a, a player Casper Root is. I mean, he's made three of the last five Grand Slam finals. You know, excellent on a clay court. He's built himself into a really good hardcore player, but he just looks totally... Um, totally out of you know in terms of grass courts. I mean, it just it just looks so foreign. I mean, not that there are any grass courts in Norway. A little cold up there to have um, you know grass courts, but you would think he would be able to adapt uh, a little bit better. But he looked out of sorts, and and, and Liam Brody took advantage of that, and he had the crowd behind him. It willed him on. They wanted to see the underdog get up, and held his nerve, and it was uh, yeah, a brilliant moment for him. Well, you, you talked about um, Murray um, uh, getting back out on uh, centre court with Tsitsipas. Centre court sees some cool action tomorrow with uh, number one seed uh, Carlos Alcaraz Garfia in action against Muller. And there's a really, uh, I guess, one for the ages, but it would only go one way, you would expect, uh, a bit later on with uh, Novak Djokovic and uh, Stanislav Wawrinka. So uh, we won't see uh, Stan very much more, I wouldn't have think, in Grand Slam. So it might be a fitting farewell for him. Yeah, that, that's certainly the the talk, and yeah, it's getting closer to the end. He, he, he like Andy Murray. I mean, he's still playing some really good tennis, Stan. I mean, he's thirty eight, and uh, he's pushed a lot of players, and and has beaten still uh, some good caliber players this year. I mean, that you know, head to head, he's twenty six uh, for Novak, head to head win loss, and you know, he's obviously the man to beat. I mean, <laughs> you can throw the kitchen sink, you can throw everything at Novak, and I don't think anything will rattle him over the next fortnight. The only one that can possibly beat him in my eyes is Alcaraz, if he can get a crack at him in the final. Uh, but in saying that, it's grass. Uh, Alcaraz uh, did win Queens coming in, so his game just adapts beautifully. But, you know, still, he's still working out some of the nuances of grass court tennis, whereas Novak's absolutely got a down pat. So... Yeah, uh, let's hope Stan the man can at least really challenge him, as the Aussie did. Jordan Thompson in the second round who really took it up to Djokovic. You know, he served volleyed, he chipped returned, he floated slice returns back. He just got Novak a little bit out of rhythm and he had to work pretty hard and he was a bit agitated. So you can't just be passive against Djokovic. In the women's side of things, uh, Swiatek uh, hardly would have had to have a shower after a match with Sorabez Tormo because 6 uh, 6 love 
Um, she, I don't say look, uh, I won't use the word unstoppable, but she looks formidable, put it that way. Well, where she's come from in 12 months, because uh, we know, you know, what the French Open, no problem, Clay, uh, she's won a Grand Slam on a hard court. Grass, like some of the men we mentioned, uh, you know, is, is still a work in progress. But when I watched her first round match, I thought she looked better in the first four games of that first round than she looked for those entire three uncomfortable rounds uh, this time 12 months ago. And then she goes on in her second round, as you mentioned, Cerebus Tormo, an hour out on court, uh, brilliant. Um, so Eager looks looks better than we probably thought on uh, on the grass. Uh, let's see if someone can actually take it up to her. Petromatic is uh, or possibly the next year in the headlights in the next round. Coming up on uh, centre court later on tonight, uh, Elena Rybakina, defending champion, uh, the quiet Kazakh, now, the quiet assassin, I call this, because she bludgeons the ball, but she does it with no fanfare, no hysteronics, no yelling out. She's so such a shy girl, uh, but she, she can play tennis. Her backhand is superb. Uh, a little scare in her match against Elisa Cornet, but, yeah, she won through. You know, Sabalenka looks superb in the first round, so they're the big three that uh, are still leading the conversation on the women's side. And uh, just finally, um, Australian interest, of course, uh, no curios. Uh, how are we looking there? Well, Alex Demonor, yeah, our top hope, uh, 15th seed. He won through today. His first-round match has taken a couple of days to complete with the weather. And he's got Matteo Berrettini, the big Italian, next. I mean, Matteo, not quite where he was, obviously, you know, top 10 Wimbledon final game back the last year or two. He's had some really debilitating injuries. So he's unseated uh, here, but he's still dangerous, um, you know, with that big forehand. That's a great matchup. We've still got Jason Kubler, Chris O'Connell. Uh, if you walk past both of those in the street, you probably wouldn't recognise them. But they're they're grinding away, Smithy, trying to have their best run at a major. And Jason was fourth round last year, so he's got some um, yeah got some work to do to try and get to that stage again. But yeah, they're they're workmen like the Aussies. But Demonor, who knows? Maybe fourth round matchup with Elcaraz, which would be superb. They played in the Queen's final only a week ago, and Carlos just had the better of Alex. So we'd love to see a rematch. Brett, uh, thanks very much, mate. I uh, appreciate you with uh, an update there, and we look forward to uh, this weekend's action. And, yes, the completion of, of that uh, Andy murray uh, Sitsipats uh, match just is, is mouth-watering. Uh, Andy Murray 2-1 up. Uh, incidentally, in the doubles, his brother Jamie teamed up with our very own Michael Venus, and they got through uh, the first round in three sets. So uh, good news there. Uh, Brett Phillips, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the, uh, the rest of your calling. I appreciate it. We'll uh, talk soon. Cheers, uh, Brett Phillips there, uh, calling right smack in the middle, actually, of that match. Uh, fascinating, too. And uh, Andy Murray. Yes, Andy Murray. Um, that is uh, reminiscent. They always find seem to find uh, someone to come up with. Uh, Cameron Norrie's floating around, of course. Uh, there's a bit of a claim on him. Uh, but remember Henman Hill? They used to call it Henman Hill, or when uh, Andy took over, it was uh, Murray Mound um, out the back there. And uh, the, the wonderful shots you see of uh, that populated hill just outside of uh, Wimbledon. <clears throat> when the locals are on show, it would have been uh, heaving with Andy Murray uh, again. So, uh, yeah, that curfew's interesting too. Um, uh, and of course, some of the matches in the US Open, the Australian Open, Louis go to the early hours of the morning, but not Wimbledon. Yeah, the, the, I actually had a, um American couple over for dinner last night. So they, they live in New York, and they were re- regaling some stories of being on Louis Armstrong um, 
there in, in Flushing Meadows and, and being there until the very small hours of the morning and it's kind of like a survival of the fittest and it gets point of pass when you're not tired anymore, you're just actually there because being there in itself was kind of more exciting than the tennis. You kind of, how, how long can I spend? Spend awake drinking beer, trying not to fall asleep in my chair, and the, you know you see start to see the crowds dissipate. <laughs> but there's some real hardo tennis fans that stay there. So yeah, it's interesting that they, they don't do that at Wimbledon. It's just it is a little bit different. Who who told us? Oh, uh, Alex Griskin said it's the granddaddy of Grand Slams, and it, and it it does things a little bit different. It's on Wimbledon's terms, isn't it? It is. Um, um, and of course, you wear white. Uh, you wear white, which is. Um the absolute norm and they look at their players outfit not unusual to have people instructed to change their outfits at Wimbledon so uh, some things uh, don't change uh, we've been talking about uh, the US Women's Golf Open and Lydia Co made seven on the par three seven so she went from one under after four uh, and she's now three over after five incredibly wow. s- stupid shot uh, and then followed it up with some not so very good ones after that uh, it's just so unlike her to make numbers like that in uh, big tournaments anyway. We'll keep uh, watching her. The, that group is the focus group. Um, in terms of the PGA, of course, uh, our very good uh, sponsors of the show, Brandt. Uh, they are the uh, suppliers of John Deere equipment. And no doubt about that. And the latest tournament is the John Deere Classic. The John Deere Classic, which at the moment is uh, being after one round led by Jonas Blitz of Sweden. Uh, and then you've got uh, Murray and Higo and Lashley and Schenk, uh, Sink, uh, Richie Wierenski in there as well. So uh, it's only worth a mere $7.4 million, this one, Louis. So it hasn't drawn the absolute big guns. Uh, and, of course, uh, they'll Cheap. be preparing. They'll head, head to the UK and head towards Liverpool as they prepare for the, the Open Championship, which, of course, starts um, on the uh, 20th of July. And uh, we yeah. have uh, a number of players involved in that as well. Smithy, did, uh, I saw that Daniel Hillier and uh, Minwoo Lee were at uh, Headingley getting stuck into some beers. They said that they were very full strength, and obviously those boys, after their recent exploits, they're not short on pocket change. So I imagine between Minwoo and um, uh, Dan Hillier, they would have their beer snake could have been quite impressive. I'm thinking somewhere between 15 and 30 empty cups between those lads. Shoddy behaviour. I think that's pretty shoddy behaviour, actually. Um, oh, where were on. they on the terraces? Come on, Smithy. They you lo- yeah, terraces? they were. You, you loved that shoddy behaviour. Come on, Smithy. You, come on, you no. loved that. No, I'm, I'm not into that. Those barbaric crowds get out of hand. Um, come on, so Smithy. I wouldn't expect one of our, a good Kiwi boy to be part of that as a neutral. It's uh, 11.17. <laughs> 11.17. We'll take a break. Uh, Lydia's just hit another one left. Uh, so just, just not trucking well at the moment. Uh, we'll be back shortly. Turn up the volume. We're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Rightio, let's uh, get straight across to uh, Louis Herman. What incidentally, uh, Lydia's got a chance to atone for her uh, quadruple, quadruple bogey on the last uh, to... Uh, make a four-footer for birdie on the next. So we shall see if she makes that and turns it around a wee bit. But uh, in terms of uh, what you've got on the sports desk, uh, Louis, this morning, uh, what's top of the pops? Yes, thanks to Polaris for extending those field days off as uh, Smithy. There's a wee bit going on. I'd like to start with the cricket. Now, 
we had some stellar performances last night, not including Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow's catching, and we'll get to that in a bit. I'm curious to pick your brain on that. It was really the the new recruits or the uh, selected players. Chris Wokes bowled beautifully, as you were saying. Gee, he was swinging around, putting it on length, and so good, by the way, just to see a, a wicket produced produce that will actually create some entertaining cricket. Uh, Mark Woods first over, bowling that fast, I think equivalent to nearly 155 kilometres an hour, coming through full flowing action, he's not a big man, he's quite slight, he's quite wiry, but the way he was ripping it down that was something to behold and he deserved to pick up five wickets because he was bowling genuine gas and Manus Labuschagne not makes not hit much I've seen in Manus Labuschagne's charisma. He's made him look uncomfortable, but he looked really uncomfortable facing Mark Wood. But on the other side, it had to be all about Mitch Marsh. They reckon he's the best tourist. That's why he seems to get selected. He's a ripping guy. The guys in the team love him. The Australian public much malign him. 118 off 118. A ton in the ashes, striking at 100. Pretty much saved their innings, and then he picked up a wicket at the end of the day as well. It is the dream day out, and because he's a ripping guy by the sounds, this was his very philosophical view in the post-match. Yeah, most of Australia hate me. <laughs> um, look, Australians are passionate. They love their cricket. Um, they want people to do well. It's no doubt that I've had a lot of opportunity at test level, and I haven't quite nailed it, but... Hopefully they can respect me for the fact that I keep coming back and I love playing for Australia. I love wearing the baggy green cap and I keep trying and hopefully I'll win them over one day. <laughs> How can you not love that, Smithy? Well, he's a West Australian, um, so there's always a bit of uh, thing angst from uh, the West to the East. Um, but he's from a very proud cricketing family. Of course, his brother, Sean Marsh, has uh, done great things for Australia, West Australia over the years. And uh, the old man, Swampy, Jeff Marsh, uh, who was uh, certainly there for uh, the first two test matches as part of a tour group. Uh, you, if you look at the crowds, um, and the, they have their big uh, groups of yellow or green, depending on what's the shirt of the day. Um, he was certainly um, at the first two test matches as a tour leader. Didn't see him last night, which would be ironical, wasn't it? Your son finally gets an opportunity, and you've headed home. Um, so uh, I saw Big Merv though Big Merv was there quite prominent uh, with his group of yellows uh, but yeah uh, this, this guy is uh, incredibly powerful I once commentated a game uh, at Canberra where he was playing against New Zealand uh, in a one day international and he absolutely demolished Matt Henry that night And, and honestly it was the power uh, and the distance he was hitting Matt Henry it was like it was, Matt was shell shocked uh, and he went pale it was this guy is tall, he's lean, but he uses a massively big heavy bat, and he just has no fear. And uh, there you get a guy who's just given a license to go out and play. Uh, and you know this is the kind of cricket that England have been trying to impose upon Australia. And then all of a sudden they pick a guy, turns around and says, "Look, whatever you've got, we got it back and and, and big numbers as well. 118 off 118, outstanding match winning. I think may well be a match winning innings that." Oh, you won't be. They won't be dropping him. I can't see how they'd drop him. So that could be tough luck for Cameron Green. There's a text here, Smithy. Joe Root got dropped Marsh when he was on 12, and they need a better wicketkeeper. Bearstow is not good enough at Test level. Yes, Johnny Bearstow has been in the headlines for all of the bizarre reasons, but his genuine performance, especially with the gloves, Smithy. His core role uh, in the side in a test match with the gloves on is to catch at a very high percentage. Uh, you've got to be very good at what you do. 
you've got to make sure that you're catching at a very high percentage. Uh, that means uh, nine and a half out of ten. Uh, you miss a half chance. Uh, okay, one that uh, would have been an absolute bonus, but you get a hand to it and it spills. That's your nine. That's your half mistake. The rest have got to stick. Uh, he was uh, poor at Edge Baston. Uh, he was slightly better at Lords uh, with the gloves. Uh, we know what happened with the batting side of things, uh, but honestly, uh, his performance in this Test match has also been poor. It's not just the fact uh, that he's uh, put down a vital catch. He put down Travis Head. It's the fact that. Uh, he just doesn't look confident. He's not moving his feet. Uh, the, the, the art of wicket-keeping, I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's not a lesson here for the people at home, but uh, it's like anything in sport. It's about the movement of your feet because when your feet move, your head goes with them. Um, and so you find yourself getting in, li- in line uh, a lot more easily. Batting's about moving your feet. Uh, most things you do in football, uh, when you're, you're kicking, etc., it's about the movement of your feet, and they put your head in the right position uh, to actually follow through. Uh, his feet aren't moving. That, that's why he finds himself diving more often than he should. If you really analyse the catch that he put down on Travis Head, and I did, it wasn't a very big deflection. Honestly, it wasn't. Um, it was a very, very catchable uh, to standing on your two feet, if you were sprightly and if you were fit. Ben Folkes is the best wicketkeeper in England, uh, possibly uh, in the world. We don't get a chance to put him in that category because they don't pick him. They don't pick him, Louis. Uh, but that's my... Um, They've been badly let down by this. Uh, uh, for him to get out of this in this test match uh, and to get some face, he has to score 100. Got to score 100 and get uh, make sure that uh, England have a lead going into the second innings. Love it, Smithy. Very, very educational there. Uh, just a couple of quick ones to, to wrap this uh, sports desk up. Uh, good news. Eliza McCartney, one of the absolute sweethearts and uh, I guess fan favourites of the Rio games all the way back then, She's had a horrid run with injuries, but after that bronze medal, she has finally got her way self back on the train, and she's off her way, on her way to Paris. Zoe Hobbs qualified earlier in the week, um, but Liza McCartney's recorded, and she's actually made a meeting record of 4.73 metres in Barcelona to reach the New Zealand Olympic qualifying mark for the 2024 Games. She will be on that plane. She will be one of the uh, media favourites, they'll be rolling her out at every opportunity because she seems like an absolute ripping lady and congratulations to her for fighting through those injuries all the way back. Uh, We were going to do an All Blacks 15 squad selection update for you, but we've run out of time. We've had meetings. Oh, okay. Oh, I get the gist. I get the gist. Fair enough. Okay, so we won't feature rugby? They want to talk to us. Rightio, Louie. You're the boss, so... uh, I'll take your word for that. It's 11.30 coming up here on SENZ. Lydia made a birdie, and she's just had another gorgeous shot into a par three. So uh, that's seven. Hopefully she can recover from that and get back towards uh, even par come the end of the round. She's using a yellow bag with a big, prominent black fern on it. So uh, very, very faithful to New Zealand, it seems. Uh, Kerry from Manawatu is already calling through. Uh, I don't know if you'll be the lucky one, Kerry, but we need a player or two. 0800 Time to stump Smithy. And it's the Canes Deer Velvet capsules that we're giving away. Uh, the value of those, folks, $95. $95. So uh, even if you don't use them themselves, a hell of a gift for someone. It really is. 11.30 here on SENZ. Time for an update with Aroha. Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Right, uh, thanks very much for those uh, compliments and thanks very much for you uh, ringing in this morning. Uh, we've got um, a number of candidates here. 
uh, to Stump Smithy. And uh, Louis, uh, who have we got and what are our subjects today? Because uh, we got, we've been bashed the last two days. The capsules have gone out the door very quickly. Well, do you know what? I've actually got a bit of breaking news. And this is, this is important. So these Canes Deer Velvet capsules, as you say, they have been flying off the shelf as far as this segment goes. But they've also proved very popular at, wider with our audience. So we've actually got good news for the punters. If you've missed out on uh, winning Stump by Smithy, head over to their website. Kathy Kane has hooked us up with the SENZ code at checkout for 20% off Smithy. So if you plug in SCNZ, so you can go, because you can't win this, you seem to just not be able to win, you could go to the website and punch in SCNZ and they'll give you a uh, a fifth off. How about that? A fifth off, that is outstanding value. Goodness me. I uh, love it. I love it. Well, um, other than that, you could win some for free, uh, which you can do this morning. Um, yes, as I say, we've uh, been beaten up the last two days. Uh, so what's in store? Right, Brian is in Nelson in the middle of the country and he wants some of those capsules. Brian, uh, what would you like to take Smithy on with, mate? I can give you snow sports, actually, which I'm not sure how up-to-date Smithy is with the snow sport uh, side of things. You could have tennis or you could have golf. Well, snow sports, let's do that. I've got no idea, but let's do this. Uh, I like this from you, Brian. Run the gauntlet for those capsules. Yeah. Okay. It's one. How many of the Wells brothers, including Jossie? No? Yes, Jossie? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Joe's written Josie, but oh, I assume he means Jossie, have competed at the Olympics. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I reckon he's got two brothers have done it, as, so I'm, I'm going to say three. Three <laughs> well. a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, under where it goes. Smithy, you're a snow, are you a skier or a snowboarder, Smithy? Oh, hell yeah, we have snow all the time in Havelock North. Good God. <laughs> What kind of question is that? It's like they have snow all the time in Nelson. What chance did Brian have? <laughs> he chose it, man. Uh, let's go. Hey, well, they, definitely, when it rains, it pours, and when it when it's cold, it snows. And then I don't know if that's the case in Manawa too, but we'll go to Kerry. G'day, Kerry. Yeah, morning, guys. How are you? Yeah, good, Great. Kerry. Uh, you, do, <laughs> you do have some cold days in Manawa too. You really do. You're not sure about the, the snow there, though. Uh, how do you go in snow no. sports, mate? Oh, we had no snow this morning, but we had a good frost, so um, okay. yeah, good, good, good cold start for the day, but uh, a great day at the moment. Right, okay, good. Let's get on with it. Who was the first New Zealander, and since then we've had a few, but it took a while, there's a big gap. Who was the first New Zealander, and this is a great Spates bottle cap question, isn't it, to win a medal at the Winter Olympics? Kerry. Oh... I can picture the person, but no, I can't. I can't think of the name. No. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 
Right, uh, I'm going to have to say Annalisa Koberger. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. There <laughs> you go. <laughs> hey, tell me you're not a you're not a closet snowboarder, Smithy. Well, they're not hard questions. These ones are pretty. Uh, they're pretty easy ones. I've got to say, they don't call me Jean Claude. They don't call me Jean Claude down at the pub for nothing, boy. I tell you that. Okay, moving okay. along. Who's next? Well, Who's next? Scott, Scott, Scott and Christchurch is your next victim, but I don't know who wrote these questions because you're right. He's been given a 50-50 to win the DFL the capsules. The Canes DFL capsules. Scott, all you have to do is tell me, did Sean White medal at the 2022 Winter Olympics? At the 2022 Winter Olympics. Um, yes. One of the worst things I have oh. ever seen done on yes. a cricket field. <laughs> couldn't stop the rot. No, he couldn't stop the rot. Oh, I'm sorry, Scott. Uh, no, he didn't. Unfortunately, he didn't. It's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. That is a what, Louis? That is a shambles. I don't know. It's your quiz, Smithy, but I feel like Scott should get the the Canes. I do too. Captures. I, I I actually do too. So Scott, um, <clears throat> we're going to give them to you because uh, down there Wonderful. in Christchurch, you certainly you need them in the cold temperatures. So uh, make sure you stay on the line. Uh, you can speak to Joey. Uh, he'll confirm the details so we can uh, get it to you uh, as quickly as possible. You can also give it to him. Uh, for writing those questions. Ridiculous. So uh, there you go. Thank, thank uh, God. Appreciate yeah, that. You stay on the, stay on the line, Scott, um, and uh, enjoy the Canes. Dear Velvet Capsules. It is, uh, thank you very much, Kathy. It's 11.38 here on SCNZ. We'll take a break. Welcome to Smithy's Wine Cellar. Thanks to Robert Mondavi Wines. Taste the California sun. This is an exciting new segment to the show, and we thank uh, Robert Mondavi for coming on board with us. But honestly, uh, it's a it's a privilege to be involved. And uh, as you say, uh, bringing the Californian sunshine straight to our glass here. These wines are the real deal, brewed with passion and quality from the Napa Valley. Now, uh, anyone that uh, talks about getting wines out of the Napa Valley, out of America, and getting them to New Zealand, uh, will know uh, the top quality. But these Robert Mondavi wines. Um, and uh, we're going to taste one a week as such. We'll have a, a bit of a toast towards the end of it. Uh, but the one we want to focus on today is this beautiful uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, which is uh, bourbon barrel-aged. Uh, it is uh, absolutely uh, superb, I can tell you. It's got a deep, uh, rich, ruby flavour. Um, honestly, you, you can have it with anything. We uh, had a bottle last night. I can tell you the Smith Smithside had a bottle last night. Uh, we had it with a pasta dish, and it was just beautiful. We had no idea. We thought uh, we might be taking a risk there, but no, it absolutely complemented it beautifully. And, and I can tell you, uh, it was. Uh, I, I found it. We found it a touch. Um, there was sweetness in there, but there's the berry flavour in there as well. Um, and uh, also because it's been uh, absolutely uh, aged in the bourbon barrel. Uh, I, I just think is that the hints of the whiskey as well was uh, apparent too. So it's got a great mix, absolutely a great mix. Um, I loved it, absolutely loved it too, and uh, so did the other members of the Smith family who uh, are connoisseurs to a certain degree. Uh, they loved it as well. And Louis, uh, I noticed uh, on camera that uh, you might have a, a little bit there yourself. 
Yeah, Smithy, we uh, we couldn't wait as well. Shannon and I had guests over last night, actually from America, and they were they were kind of shocked. They said, Robert Mondavi, what do you got that down here for? That's the kind of the when you talk about red wine in the states, they were saying a, a cab sav, a Robert Mond- Mondavi cab sav out of Napa Valley. That's kind of uh, what you're talking about. So I'll just I'll pour a bit into this. I found a wine glass in the TAB kitchen here. It's a bit naughty to be having a tipple before midday, but we'll make an exception for Mr. Mondavi. Look at that! Look at that colour there, Smithy. And it, I, yeah. I kind of agree. I kind of agree. It was very sweet, um, but you got that oak that balanced it out. And we had a chicken pot pie, and it was—I must be quite a versatile wine because it was quite delicious with that. But they do say it goes well with cheeses, also. Okay, well, it's only uh, a 2019 vintage, so still uh, relatively young in that regard. But it drank well. It, it absolutely drank beautifully. So. Uh, we're going to be uh, highlighting Robert Mondavi wines uh, every Friday around about this time. We've got a number of selections that um, they've sent to us um, just to talk to you about. And I've got to say, uh, number one, cab off the rank, <coughs> and I say that, being a Cabernet Sauvignon, was an absolute pass, an absolute pass, a tick for me. Had no hesitation about recommending that uh, particular wine to anyone in uh, anyone that uh, is at all interested in, in drinking a wine right now, actually. Um, is a 2019 uh, private selection bourbon barrel-aged Cab Sav. What are we going to toast? What do you think we should toast this morning? Well, I mean, I, I thought you were exclusive, uh, exclusively an export drinker, Smithy, but it sounds like, and it would be a shame with your, <coughs> the region of the country you're in. It sounds like you're a bit of a wine nuffy well, there. And... Wines of that quality are going to win me over over the next month or so, I can promise you that. Uh, I'll tell you what, we'll toast this morning, and uh, yep. we'll raise a glass. We'll raise a glass because it's been such a turbulent week uh, to the spirit of cricket, the former spirit of cricket. So um, is it still alive and well? No, it's done and dusted. I feel it's done and dusted. So the spirit of cricket we're toasting this morning, Louis, and uh, I'll toast to you as well. Coming through the microphone there, uh, the spirit of cricket. Alive and well, you reckon, Smithy? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll have uh, more Robert Mondavi uh, product to talk about. Uh, as uh, the weeks go ahead. Taste the California sun with Robert Mondavi's bourbon barrel-aged Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a game-changer in a glass. Game-changer in a glass, all right. And we've we've been instructed to tell you that uh, Andy Thompson is uh, broadcasting today from the Young Farmer, the the Young Farmer of the Year, and uh, this is the uh, the practical. They're out in the field. I can see the uh, SENZ backdrops. It's a beautiful sunny day, absolutely stunning day. And uh, Ansi Thompson is bringing the rural uh, roundup to you live from there. Um, and that is, of course, on stations uh, outside Wellington and Auckland. Uh, other than that, of course, the staff will be with us as well. Uh, right, let's uh, get into a few of these texts as well because uh, you've sent them through. It'll be rude not to read them out. West Australians are the best Australians, Sean. You reckon? You reckon? Uh, there are some good ones over there. Michael Hussey, uh, Mr Cricket, uh, Adam Gilchrist, um, two of the ones uh, that I can recall. Dennis Lilly, Rod Marsh. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, <coughs> uh, turn it up, Smithy, says Nick P. You would have been saying all that crowd behaviour stuff with a smirk on your face. Ah. Uh, I'd love to have been there, Nick. I can promise you that. That was uh, some atmosphere, and it'll only get better over the next couple of days because they start to dress up more. They will be uh, wearing all sorts of uh, outfits there. Right, okay. Uh, 
Heisman, they're reboding at fullback. I suspect he's uh, in there primarily as a fullback and not a 10. Yes, he will play there from time to time when D-Mac and Richie are injured and need a rest. Uh, but I believe he's there as a 15. Consequently, he'll be mainly contributing off the bench. Uh, come on, guys. Sean dabbled with the switch to league. We're talking about Sean Stevenson here not getting a crack this time around. The petty rugby bosses didn't and don't like that. He is one of the best backs in New Zealand at the moment. But also, uh, well, you, you suspect has almost been uh, blacklisted. Well, that's an interesting uh, opinion. What's surely up not. with the AB's team? Yeah, and maybe surely not. What's up with the AB's team? Uh, who are these uh, so-called nine players supposed to be going home early? Doesn't look like it. This was the chance to blood some new talent and see if they've got it or not, and they've blown it. Disgrace, says Brad. Uh, I would have preferred a team picked on super form. No Bowden or Caleb Lester and Shooter in the backs. Uh, also, uh, Mwanga should start at number 10. That's Simon from North Shore. Ken, um, Tim says, Ken said the Blues would beat the Crusaders 13+. Plus, and that shows what he knows there. A bit of bounce back for you, Ken, of the Blues uh, from Tim. Uh, Brad says, what do you mean, Louis? We all know more than the All Black selectors. What do you mean, Louis? That's Brad on to you, Louis. What's that? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I suppose we all do, really, don't we, Brad? And the beautiful thing is about our national game, Smithy, we're all allowed opinions, and that's really at the end of the day all they are. Okay, fair enough. Uh, here's an interesting one. Um, we're talking about the league here and the fact that the players are not making themselves available to the media for post-match interviews, etc. Hey, Smith, the thing about post-match interviews, and you would know you've done plenty, is they're all the same. The player speaks in cliches and nothing of value is spoken. Uh, you could interview Louis right now and he could probably do the same post-match interview. 99% of the players, just my thoughts. Should we try? You, uh, I, no, no. Um, I won't interview you. Um, I had enough of you this, this hour. But here's the thing. Um, you're right. Absolutely right. You didn't put a name on this text. But honestly, um, w <laughs> the number of times you would interview a guy and basically have to apologise. Uh, these guys have beat themselves up for 80 minutes. And then they have to stand there, wait. And either sometimes it's raining and the cold or whatever. And they have to stand there waiting to be politely interviewed and Ask, uh, answer questions that they, uh, you know, they already know what the questions are going to be like. You know, uh, you got up tonight. Uh, how's it feel? Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, you, you dominated there. You had a weak moment there. You, you know, uh, and honestly, what did you get out of it? Um, reluctantly. I mean, even the coaches' pre-match interviews. They used to say, really, and they used to say, okay, I can tell what you're going to ask me, so just get it over and done with. I mean, honestly. They don't like doing that. It's a, it's, a, it's a hassle. It's a nuisance. So I'm not sure we're actually missing, to be fair. Um, Patrick. Morning, Smithy. What a great night's test cricket, except England's inability to catch. How good to see an express pace bowler. We don't see a lot of them these days. Mark Wood. Uh, Mitchell Marsh also, who can really make the side, comes in and gets a century and a wicket. I see Swampy as a touring group in the stands. How proud he will be. I didn't see Swampy on the coverage last night. I uh, can't wait for day two, though. I think McCullum's lot will be in the first to lose the Ashes in England since 2001. McCullum keeps telling us England aren't the finished product, so then the next Ashes in Australia, uh, they should be right. What a joke. <laughs> Says uh, Patrick from Ashburton. Really? Uh, Louis, uh, make sure you don't miss Catch a Charmer at Awapuni tomorrow. Super value. That's from Trent. Trent, uh, uh, with a message to you, Louis. 
so uh, thanks very much for your texts uh, throughout uh, the week. is absolutely fantastic, and your yeah, contribution too with calling through to us has been um, really, really, really much appreciated. It is 11.53, just a quick chance to catch up with staff before his show this afternoon.